I was in Romania. Uh, maybe you're newer to Harvest and you don't know that we are a church planting church. We're actually part of a fellowship called the Harvest Bible Fellowship. We've planted 150 churches uh, all over the world. We started planting churches in the year 2000, um, and it's been going really well, faster than we thought. We are a church plant. Um, the primary way that we aim to fulfill the Great Commission is to plant life-giving churches in new communities uh, based on the same core pillars of truth. So I put together a little video um, from when I was in the training center in Romania where they train church planters. So you can get um, just an idea of how we do this. Check it out. Hey Harvest, it's Pastor Ryan here coming to you live from the training center for church planters in Europe. And we just got done wrapping up a session with the men who are being trained to go out and plant churches here. Hey, behind me is a map of Romania. And we have already planted churches through our Harvest Fellowship all over Romania. Arad, Tirgumuresh, Brasov is the church that we helped to plant. Ploiash, Bucharest, Brila, Yash. Don't, don't try and sound it out, just it's Yash. So there's churches being planted all over Romania, and we're a church planting movement. So we actually plant churches all over the world. That's us up there. And we've planted churches all over the United States, uh, down into the Caribbean. Apparently, we've even put a church in the ocean. And that's not easy to do. I, I really don't even know how we did that. But apparently, we did that. And now we just whoop, left over the ocean. We've got churches in Liberia. We've got churches in Cameroon. Uh, we're putting churches in Uganda. And here's Romania, which is where we're at right now. Um, and in Scotland, and then we have churches in Nepal, um, India, Kuala Lumpur. So it's great to be a part of a church planting movement, and we train church planters right here in the training center for church planting in Europe. Who's that? Let's go meet him. Excuse me, sir. You look like you're from the United States. I am. What's your name? Uh, my name is Mike. Mike. Yes. I knew a Mike. Do you remember once. me? Oh, it's Mike! Oh, it's so good to see you, I couldn't recognize you because of your Romanian accent. Yes, isn't it heavy? Yeah, yeah. 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 I've had one Romanian lesson so far. That's what it happens. That's all it took. I've had one lesson. That's great. So you're here. I am here. And you're helping with uh, church planters. I'm helping with church planters. That's yeah, fantastic. we just finished our. Uh, just about the end of our second week of the Harvest Training Center and the seven pastors that we have here from seven different countries. Yeah, okay, so and let me see if I remember. They're from Serbia, yes. Croatia, Greece, mm -hmm. Romania, uh, Germany, Cameroon. Cameroon. Um, did you say Serbia? I think so. Ukraine? Did I say Ukraine? No, you didn't say Ukraine. Ukraine. That's seven. That's the seven. Yeah, seven's a biblical number. Yes. So you're it's complete. Here, seven. <laughs> getting them ready to go out and make yes. disciples of all nations, Amen. which is our mission yeah. to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Hopefully that gives you an overview of what we do, why we're in Romania, what we're trying to accomplish there. Uh, it's really exciting to see God raising up men to go out and plant churches, and it's uh, an honor to partner with them. You know, in our offerings, for every like $100 we collect, we uh, donate 5% straight to church planting. So five bucks of every hundred you give goes to church planting, and your offerings are helping to make church plants happen. 
And that is super exciting. Another thing I'm excited about from this week, we had a team from ISP here all week, the uh, Illinois School Project. They are an evangelistic ministry that helps high schoolers do rallies in their school. And I got a text from John Cox, who's in charge of that ministry around here in, uh, in Chicago. And he said, just this week, college students donated their time, their spring break, to help pull off these rallies. And just this week, they did 17 rallies at six schools. 600 students attended, 60 got saved. This week. This week. Think about that. 600 high schoolers attended evangelistic rallies in their school this week. I'm just blown away. It's awesome that we partner with them. Hey, if you are a high school parent or if you serve in our high school ministry, consider coming to ISP's banquet April 1st, Saturday, April 1st at night. You'll get the full praise report of what's going on in the city and the state and the country. Um, and I'd love for you to be there. You can register in uh, the gym. I don't know if they're still there now. They may be gone. But if you'd like to register for that, let Pastor Jeremy or me know and we'll help you figure that out. You should be there and hear the full praise report. All right, now it's time for the sermon. We started a new series called Root to Fruit. Uh, how do we grow spiritually? What is spiritual maturity? And we already talked about love and we talked about joy. So I expect you all to have those done by now. If I find out any of you are still struggling with joy, you will be put under church discipline immediately because we've already covered that. No, what we're finding is that these fruit of the Spirit, these virtues grow over time. And God is growing us in love and joy and now we're on to peace. It was awesome to have Pastor Jeremy preach last week. Make sure you encourage him. I haven't heard his sermon yet. You just want to quick give me thumbs up or thumbs down on how... Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I heard he, he did a great job. And he talked about peace. And we're taking a second day to talk about this fruit of the Spirit. My question for you is this. Is it well with your soul? Is it well? Are you at peace? Are you filled with peace? Well, how can I find that peace? Did you ever watch Seinfeld? I watched Seinfeld when I was growing up. There's one episode where George's dad is really trying to get a handle of his lack of peace, and so he starts these relaxation techniques. Check it out. This is how it went. Serenity now! Serenity now! <laughs> what is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! What happened to you, pal? Joey Sanfino and some of the neighborhood kids, they ambushed me with a box of grade A's. Are you all right? Oh, no, I'm fine, fine. Serenity now. Serenity now, serenity now. So you're using Frank's relaxation method? Jerry, the anger, it just melts right off. Serenity now. Serenity now. If only peace was that easy. If only I could just tell myself something and say, now, peace, now. Um, but peace is hard. It's hard to make peace with our past. It's hard to maintain peace in our present. And it's hard to look ahead to the future with a settled sense of peace. Is it well with your soul? We struggle to maintain peace. And I hope you are asking, how can I be filled 
with peace. Let's pray and then we'll figure out how. Father in heaven, we thank you that you challenge us to find peace, rest for our souls. Yet there are so many things that are not well. They don't sit right with us. And we, Lord, just the moment we find peace, something comes along, someone comes along, and we lose it again. Help us, Lord, to know how we can be filled with this fruit of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The Apostle Paul is our author today. It's always good to know that somebody who's writing about something is an authority on the matter, right? Like if somebody came up here and said, I'm here to help you find peace because I broke my iPhone screen last week and the Lord walked me through that trial. So I'm here to help you. You'd be like, get off the stage. I want somebody who really has suffered to tell me about peace. The Apostle Paul writing this, man, if you read the list in 2 Corinthians of what he's been through, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail, he was, I mean, this is a suffering guy, and he's the one telling us how to find peace, so I give him a lot of credit. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, do not be anxious about, what does it say there? Man, I don't like that word. Like, I would have been happy if it said, do not be anxious about most things. You know? Just, like, at least just give me a list of ten things that I can be anxious, or five. Okay, five things that I can be anxious about. But anything? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First thing you can write down is this. Replace worry with prayer. Replace worry with prayer. It says, do not be anxious. Anxious. Are you an anxious person? Are you a worrier? Are, are you, do you fret? Do, hold up your fingernails and just look at them for a second. Are you a nail biter? Are you a nervous person? Because I am. I'll confess it. I'm a worrier. When things get out of whack, I worry and I work until the dissonance is gone. That's how I cope with my problems. Eating helps too. So when, whether you're a worrier or, or you're an eater, you know, we're coping with things that aren't right in our lives and sometimes we do it poorly. And anxiety is a struggle that we all face. And the Bible confronts our anxiety. It says, do not be anxious about anything. That's impossible. All right, let's say I'm going to do it. As of right now, I'm not going to worry about one thing ever again. <sighs> There's six inches of snow on the way. I'm the parent of a high school daughter and a middle school daughter. <sighs> we have a lot of people in the church going through a lot of problems. Instantly, there are all these things that I can worry about even when I decide that I'm not going to worry anymore. So how on earth can we possibly say, okay, I'm not going to be anxious ever again? It's impossible. And there's not only one impossible command here, there's another. It says, don't be anxious about anything. And I'm like, eh, I fail at that one. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I'm supposed to be praying about everything. And I'm like, eh, I'm 0 for 2. 
because I'm worrying about a lot of stuff and I'm not praying about a lot of stuff. So I'm just going to go sit down because I shouldn't even be preaching this sermon to you. Let's have somebody come up here who stopped worrying a long time ago and prays about everything in their life. No takers. I think this passage really lays out something that is revolutionary. We are supposed to replace worry with prayer, which means this is going to be a challenge every day. Every day we are going to wake up and our worries will be there. Um, And we're going to have to replace them with prayer. When it comes to worrying, it's important to get to the source of where our anxieties come from. Pastor Jeremy told us last week that peace starts when you have a life-giving, life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, or if you doubt whether you're saved or not, this is the most important part of the sermon for you right now. Um, If you do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will never have peace in your life. Your lack of peace is permanent, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Not only in this life will you lack peace, but in the next life, you will never have peace because you're not in a right relationship with God. Any time in this world you feel like things are going well or you assume that uh, life is now in a good place, you have no rational spiritual basis to expect that to continue because you don't know God and Jesus isn't your Lord. Um, Your peace begins with a person. The Bible says that Jesus gives you peace. If you don't get it from him, you'll never find it. You'll never find lasting peace anywhere else on the planet. All the things that disturb your life before you become a Christian are God's way of saying the same thing to you over and over and over again. You need my son. And until you find him, you will have no rest for your souls. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. Um, God wants you to find this peace, but you will only find it in his son. Mark and I didn't coordinate this morning, but he gave away a Starbucks gift card, and I plan to give away a Starbucks gift card too. His had more money on it. But I still have a Starbucks gift card, and I'm willing to give it to anybody who wants to come up here and take it right now. You can get it. You just need to come up here and take it. There's a race. There's a race. Oh! Oh! And there's a fight! This is going so much better than I expected. Joseph, everyone! Give him a big round of applause. I wish I had two. I want to do that again. All right, now, Joseph, stand up. Uh, how, did, how did you get that card? Hold it up. How'd you get that? All right, you did race for it, and you did fought for it, and then you tripped, but how did you get it? I gave it to you, all right? And if I didn't give it to you, you wouldn't have it, so say thank you. You're welcome. Now, um, when it comes to peace, you have to go to Jesus, and you have to take it from him. If he hasn't handed it to you, you will never find it anywhere else. Um, Your enthusiasm to run to Jesus to grab peace should be uh, more than the enthusiasm that you just witnessed on the part of these two youngins. Because what Jesus is extending to you is far more valuable than a $5 Starbucks gift card, okay? Uh, But we're supposed to replace worry with prayer. We'll never be able to do that until Jesus gives us peace. I love, you don't have to turn there, but I love the verse in Colossians 3.15, which says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. What that tells us is the peace God has for us is the peace of Christ. 
Once that's in here, then it says, let it rule. Do you see how there's a tension between something that's already done and something that's being done every day? What's already done is the peace of Christ is in me. What's not done yet is I have to let it rule, which means I put it in charge. All right? So imagine jumping into somebody's heart and they're all, you know, and you say, hey, who's in charge here? And imagine all the feelings pointing to peace. He is. That's what has to happen in your heart. Peace has to be the governing emotion that keeps everybody else, you know, when you were, when you were a child, maybe sometimes your parents, if you were the oldest child like me, left you in charge. Such a good feeling to be able to boss your siblings around, right? I'm in charge. Uh, that is what you have to do to the peace of Christ. You have to put it in charge. It has to be the governing emotion that puts all other feelings in its place, and it has to happen every day. How do we do that? Well, we replace worry with prayer, you see, because anxiety, our worry wants to be put in charge. Put me in charge. Put me in charge. Put me in charge. Put me in charge. You're freaking out. If you would just put me in charge for a day, we would get so much done. And then what happens when you put your anxiety in charge? At the end of a day of worrying, does it get quieter or louder? At the end of a day of worrying, are you in a better or worse place emotionally? Worse. Because anxiety is like a dog, a pack of dogs, all of your worries, and you grab them by the leash and you decide to take them for a walk, and they drag you all around. And then, and then you get back home, and even though they told you that if you took them for a walk, they would go lay down, they don't. They want you to take them around the block one more time, and then after all day long, you wear yourself out, you realize uh, that you have no peace. And there's a reason for that. It's because your worries don't answer to you. They only answer to the voice of one master, and you are not him. You must put the Lord Jesus Christ in charge of all of your worries, or you will continue to wear yourself out. Anxiety is a funny thing. Um, it's like a barking, growling dog. We've got a dog. He barks at everything. He barks at everything. And your anxiety is growling and barking at something. What is it? What is it that your worries are barking at? Um, Anything that can grow your faith. Anything that unsettles you that can grow your faith. Get it out of here! Get it out of here! Fix it now! Get it out of here! No. And unless you transfer control of your worries from yourself to God, you will continue with the ulcers. You will continue with the headaches. You will continue with the restless nights because you're trying to control something that you can't control. It is a control issue Worry at the heart, if you struggle with anxiety, there is a lie about God festering in your soul. And that lie about God is he is not competent. Listen, if you struggle with anxiety like me and you don't understand the source of it, this is why it's not going away. You're believing a lie that God is not competent. He cannot faithfully, perfectly manage all of the things that are going on in your life. And so you conclude he needs your help to do it, which is false. Nothing you have ever done has made him a better God. He's never been like, thanks so much. I'm now better at God because you've helped me. Ever, once, as he said that. Um, so it's a lie about God that you are using to process all of the worries, and it's not going well. You have to replace worry with prayer. You can't indulge worry or it'll never go away. It's important to understand where worry comes from. The word peace is used a few different ways in the Bible. Peace results from order. 
So a well-ordered life that is generally predictable and stable is one way that the Bible uses the word peace. You're well. You're at peace. And therefore, if your environment or your life is disordered or if there's confusion, um, frustration, that can take your peace away. Um, So that's one way it uses it. The Bible also uses the word peace in a relational sense. So if your relationships are in harmony and you're getting along with everybody, then you are at peace, right? Same thing with God. If you are in a harmonious relationship with God, then you have peace with God through our Savior Jesus Christ. But if there's friction, if there's tension, if there's bickering or fighting or backstabbing, then you don't have peace because your relationships are broken apart. There's also an understanding that peace comes with security. You're you're well. You are taken care of and secure. So you can have security of finances, health, home, church. Uh, And so that form of security where everything is free of threat or danger is one way the Bible uses the word peace or at rest or secure. And when you lack that security, when your finances are in jeopardy or your job um, or uh, whatever, your health, then there's this danger, and so your peace goes away. These are the sources of peace and lack of peace. Whenever our peace is threatened, which creates a conundrum. If God wants me to be anxious about nothing, why does he keep allowing frustrating things into my life, right? How come he does that? It's because he gives you an opportunity to pray. Uh, How is your prayer life? Are you praying? Are you praying? Or are you worrying? If you're worrying, maybe it's time to turn those worries into prayer. Uh, But how do we do that? Let me give you five little sub-points here. These are what I've called the prayer gears before. If you want a fully functioning biblical prayer life, all of these gears need to be turning in your heart at the same time. The first one is boldness. You have to pray bold prayers. If I looked at your prayer list right now, things that you're talking to God about, if I looked at your list, would my eyebrows go up like this? Would I be surprised at how big and bold your prayers are? Or are you just praying for food? Bless this food to our bodies. Are you just praying for general thing? Give us wellness. Forgive us for our sins. Like, are you praying big, bold prayers? Um, Because if you're praying small prayers, you've got a small faith. You're not expecting anything from God. We're supposed to ask for mountains to be streaking through the sky. Impossible things. Pray bold prayers. Next, confidence. Pray confident prayers. This is a really important gear that a lot of people don't understand. When Jesus says things like, whenever you pray, believe you have received it. My head starts spinning. Because I know that I get a lot of no's from God. Maybe you don't, but I get a lot of no's. I ask for things and God says no. So how am I supposed to pray believing I've received it when I know God might say no? Well, this command is a command of your attitude um, that applies from when you first ask to, to when God answers. Meaning, while you wait, Jesus has commanded you to wait confidently, to wait with expectation. Assume you have a yes until you hear otherwise. That's the attitude that should govern your wait. But that's not what we do. We ask, and then we're like, he's going to say no. He's going to say no. He's going to say no. And we doubt. 
That's not the way we're supposed to pray. We are supposed to pray with confidence while we wait, boldness, and then the next one is this. We're supposed to pray humble, humility. Not my will, but, but yours be done. Here's the problem when you start skipping gears. You see, sometimes people will act like humility is the only gear that's required. You know what? I'm just going to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Do whatever you want, God, and I just... And I'm just going to trust you. That's humble, but it's not bold. That's humble, but it's not confident. You're missing gears. Sometimes people act like this is the only way to pray. You know what? God's going to do whatever he's going to do. So I just go to God and say, do whatever you're going to do. That's humble. It's not bold. And it's not confident. And therefore, it's not a biblically uh, supported prayer life. You have to be bold and confident and humble all at once or you're missing gears. The next one is loving. You have to be loving toward others, which means you can't always just be praying for yourself. Gimme, 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 I need, I need, me, me, me. That's the sick heart that God's not gonna bless. Loving, the Bible says that uh, husbands, if we're not loving our wives, God doesn't hear our prayers. He's covering his ears until you fix the love problem. Imagine that. Well, he won't even help me with my financial needs. He's covering his ears and won't listen until you get your relationships in order. If the love gear stops turning, so do the rest. And then last one is persistent, meaning you just never give up. Jesus told parables to say, just keep asking, ask, seek, knock, never quit. But we don't pray. Hey, if your prayer life is not working right, you have to find out why that is. And I want to tell you why. If we aren't praying, it's because we are displaying a self-reliant, self-indulgent spirit. Meaning we're not praying because we are relying on ourselves and indulging ourselves. We don't need God. That's what we're saying when we don't pray. We're saying we don't need God. And... We're saying we don't need God to secure us or satisfy us. And so we are securing and satisfying ourselves. That's why we're not praying. We're not praying because we're going it alone. And we will learn the hard way that God is the only strength and song that our hearts can permanently cling to. That's already true. God is the only strength and song our hearts can permanently cling to. But we'll learn the hard way if we don't pray what happens when we walk away from him. I love what Tim Keller says about prayer. He says this, Prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well, that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things cannot be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. Amen. Hey, number one, replace worry with prayer. Number two, replace doubt with gratitude. It says in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Then it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, this could have just been a sub-point of part one. How do we pray? Pray with thanksgiving. But I've featured it Because in the context, it's a really big deal. Look at verse 4 where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
You ever find yourself having to tell your kids something more than once? Am I the only one? Where you say it, but they didn't hear it, so then you got to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. See, the church was struggling with joy, gratitude. So here he comes back to it again. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, it's that big of a deal. We have to replace doubt with gratitude. Um, God calls us for, uh, to pursue a changed attitude. He doesn't want us to be gloomy, grumpy, or doubtful while we're waiting for him to act. He wants us, while we are uh, having all these anxieties, he wants us to be thankful. And Christians, we have every reason to be thankful because God has already done so much. And when we lose our joy, when we lose our gratitude, um, we, our spirits will sink and then we will let our worries take over. Uh, check this out. This is a picture of a famous coach. Does anybody know who this is? Who is that? That's John Wooden. One of the most decorated coaches ever. And look at those trophies. He has won so many things. Now, when I look at that, I see you. I see somebody who has trophies of things God has accomplished in your life. The biggest trophy, of course, is salvation. If that's the only big thing God ever did in your life, you have a reason to be joyful forever thankful for good. But he's done more than that. He's filled your life with proof that he is good and he is reliable and you can trust him. But the first thing that happens when we're tempted is Satan goes over to the trophy case and covers it up because he wants you to forget all the great things God has done. Then he defines your current situation by your problem and he gets you to hide your joy and your gratitude until your problems go away. And that's not a healthy thing to do. We're supposed to replace worry with prayer and replace doubt with gratitude. We're supposed to be thankful. And why aren't we, though? Well, we struggle with this. Maybe you struggle with this. Maybe you struggle with a bad attitude when pain comes your way. Maybe you're negative. Maybe you're critical in your spirit. Maybe you're depressed. Uh, Maybe you just really struggle with a poor attitude when you have problems. And you have to ask yourself, why? Um, Well, at the heart of this struggle is a festering lie about God. And what is it? What is it? If you struggle with a depressed spirit, with a sour mood toward God, if you don't know the lie that's being whispered to you, you won't know how to fight it. The lie is this. God is not good. That's a powerful lie for you to let take over in your spirit. God is not good. When you assume that a bad ending is coming, you're calling God's goodness into question. If we allow this lie to take over, here's what happens. We conclude that God is not governing my life according to a perfect standard of goodness. Therefore, because we have concluded he has fallen short of taking perfect care of us, we protest what he is doing in our lives. And emotionally, we withhold our joy and our gratitude until he gets it right. You see, we disagree with God. That's what's happening. We're fundamentally disagreeing with God over his sovereign care in our lives. 
This can steal your peace. Some people have never come to a place of peace with their past. Something happened or something didn't happen and they don't find peace with their parents. They don't find rest in their heart with their upbringing. Uh, They don't let the pain of the past get resolved. And one of the reasons is because they don't believe God meant it for good. Because God allowed that, he can't be good. And then there's this uh, struggle of wills until um, you force God to fix it or answer for it. There are many things that we can wrestle with God about. Our health and our body issues. We can disagree with God over the sickness or the ongoing pains and aches that he has allowed in our body. Uh, And we can protest what God has allowed by holding our joy hostage until he fixes it. And we're doubting him. That's why we're not grateful. Uh, You know, our finances can um, stir up fear, uncertainty. Uh, It can lead to fights in the marriage and it can steal our peace. You know, until God provides with what we think we have to have. And, and we, there will be no peace until God gives it to us. And that's not good. We're doubting Him. Our trials can cause us to doubt God's goodness. Another one that's a little harder to define is, if we have never accepted who God made us, we will never have peace in our heart. This is a huge struggle Uh, when we don't like who God made us and we wish we were something else and there's this uh, unending comparison between us and others. And when we see others, we get bitter and resentful and we protest because we don't like who God made us or who he didn't make us to be. And if your heart is always just not at rest because you're comparing yourself to others, You're doubting God's goodness. Do you know that? Do you know you're doubting God's goodness and you're telling him what you think of him by holding your joy hostage? Uh, We are replacing doubt with gratitude. That's the challenge. Then our hearts can find rest. But it can only be found in the presence of Jesus Christ. It says this in Isaiah 9, 6 about Jesus when he would be born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Your heart can know peace, but you have to replace doubt with gratitude that the Lord Jesus Christ has come from heaven, and he can handle anything you bring to him. Number one, replace worry with prayer. Bold, confident, humble, loving, persistent prayer. Number two, replace doubt with gratitude. And number three is a reason why. Because God's peace, and pause there. It goes on to say this. And the peace of God, verse seven, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is different than other forms of peace. And before I give you a few details on uh, this peace, I want you to know what it is, and I want you to know what it isn't, okay? It's an important word. 92 times in the New Testament, this word peace is used. It's a really important word that you understand. 
But if you don't know what it is, you're going to be running after the wrong thing. So God's peace is not, and here's a few bonus notes that you can jot down. God's peace is not the peace of ignorance. Ignorance. What do I mean by ignorance? I mean somebody who's being careless and uninformed about their poor life choices. The guy who's ruining his marriage or his finances or his business, and when someone tries to talk some sense into him, he says, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. That's ignorance. That is looking away from reality, and that is not the peace of God. And if you're just simply trying to look away from the consequences of your poor life choices, that is not the peace God has for you. Um, The peace of God is also not the peace of sin. Meaning somebody who is sinning calmly. What are you doing leaving your spouse? The Bible doesn't give you permission to do that. I prayed about it and I have peace. You do, do you? Because the Bible tells you this is sin. Yeah, but I talk to my friends and they understand. And so I have peace. And you're like, I want to shake you. You shouldn't have peace while you're sinning. So prayer, just understand, prayer gives you permission to do nothing. Okay, you know that, right? And if you've prayed your way into a sinful decision, you're not talking to God. You're talking to yourself. Um, The peace of sin is self-deception. Psalm 119, 165 says this. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So your peace needs to be fused with your truth. Once you walk away from the truth and you get off the safe trail of God's word, it doesn't matter how calmly you're sinning. It will ruin you. So please understand we're not finding peace with our sin. Um, next, peace is not, the peace of God is not a mystical escape. Um, it's not a mystical escape like, well, I'm just at peace. It's not like yoga class where you're clearing your mind of everything and, you know, that's not it. Uh, it it's not like we're trying to be like, you know, sometimes you look at a, a guy and you're like, he's just so chill. Like nothing can shake him. Like his chi is centered. And I just wish I could be tranquil like him. It's not this like ethereal, like, yeah, that's not the peace of God. It's not this spiritual fog that you're in. Uh, all right, that's not it. That's not what peace is. And, and the last little bonus note here is the peace of God is not sloth. It's not sloth. Look at that guy over there. Not a care in the world. Nothing gets him worked up. Yeah, that's because nothing gets him off the couch. He's in a food coma. Somebody wake him up. All right. And there's this sad elevation, especially in the male community today, of a guy who just doesn't care about anything. All right. That's a big problem. Like he's really trying to stretch his junior high experience out into retirement and he's not growing up. Uh, And uh, that's not the peace that we're going for, the peace of sloth, the peace of like, I care about nothing. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. I could go on and on about that. Come to act like men tonight. Maybe I'll say more. So God's peace, now we know what it's not, jot this down, is bigger than your biggest problem. Bigger 
than your biggest problem. It says here, um, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Wow. Do you believe that the peace God offers you is bigger than your biggest problem? What does that mean? Uh, surpasses understanding. It doesn't mean, I think it doesn't mean surpasses your understanding of God. It surpasses your understanding of your problems. So, so I'm looking at my problems and drawing conclusions and freaking out. And the peace of God is bigger than my understanding of my problem. Meaning, this is a call for you to rest your soul in God's wisdom. God knows more than I do. He has this figured out. It is well with my soul because the peace God offers me is bigger than my biggest problem. You have to believe that. If you don't believe God's wisdom is bigger than your wisdom, his ways higher than your ways, his thoughts greater than your thoughts, you'll never have peace. But that's because you're promoting your problem to being bigger than God, and it's not. I like what 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says. It says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be with you all. That's beautiful. It's beautiful because it shows that it doesn't matter the biggest problem you have right now. His peace is bigger. What is your biggest problem? Or who is your biggest problem? Don't say a name. If they're in the room, really don't say a name. But I think you could tell me. I think you could tell me what your biggest hang-up is right now. What is rattling you the most? What is bothering you? What is haunting you? The thing that is not well with your soul. Hey, I'm just telling you, God's peace is bigger. If you, it, we're called to pursue, it says in the Bible, to pursue uh, peace. Like a high-speed chase, we're to pursue it if you don't have it. And it's bigger than your biggest problem, so you can trust God's wisdom. You need to go for it. Next, the peace of God is strong enough to protect you. It says in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, so it's bigger than my biggest problem, will guard your hearts and your minds. It's guarding my heart. It's guarding my mind because the peace of God is strong enough to protect me. But you have to rest in God's strength. You see? Listen, peace runs on faith. If you're low on faith, you're going to be low on peace. You have to have faith that God is strong enough to protect and secure you. If you don't believe that, your peace will fly away. God is strong enough to protect you. Let me just say this. Some people, though, might be struggling with this idea. You might be saying, hey, when it comes to anxiety or depression, um, I, I feel like I'm fighting that fight, and I feel like I'm really putting a lot of spiritual effort into it, but it's just not going away. What do I do now? What do I do if I believe God is strong enough to take this away, but he doesn't? You know, you might be listening to me up here talking about depression and anxiety and, and me saying, hey, bring it to the Lord and he will take it away. And, and your response might be like, yeah, that'd be nice, but it's still here. And let me just say this. I really want you to hear your pastor say this. Um, anxiety and depression are spiritual problems, and there's always a spiritual dimension to that. 
But for some people, it could also be a medical issue, all right? Meaning if your depression doesn't correspond to life events, if you can't get out of bed in the morning and you don't know why, right? It's like things are fine. I'm, finances are good. My health is... And, but there's this unexplainable struggle um, with this emotional issue. Uh, it's fine to admit that you need medical help. It's fine to admit that there's something in your body that isn't quite working the way that God perhaps intended it to be working. There is, there is emotional health and wellness that needs to be maintained. And uh, if, if you need to see a doctor to say, I struggle with depression, I struggle with anxiety, hey, listen, I want you to do that. I don't want you to hear from me, just pray your way to, you know, it could be a medical and a spiritual issue that you're wrestling with. And there's no judgment if someone were to say, yeah, I'm talking to my doctor about depression. It's not like at this church we're going to be like, oh, well, your prayer life must really stink if you got to go to your doctor to get that taken care of. Not at all. These are real issues. And the sooner you admit, I have perhaps a medical struggle with something and I'm willing to get advice and help for that, hey, that might be God's provision for you. Um, I just want you to know that we will help you with that and we won't judge you for that. I want you to know that we believe it's real, that there are medical struggles with anxiety and depression. Um, and I just want to challenge you to see that if that's the case, um, it is a medical issue, but it still also is a spiritual issue at the same time, okay? Because the uh, medicine will give you a level playing field, a fighting chance, but what will ultimately wrestle your anxiety or your depression to the ground will be the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? He's the one. So put your faith in him, but also seek out wellness however you can. So God's peace is bigger than your biggest problem. God's peace is also strong enough to protect you. And finally, it's found only in the presence of Christ. It says here to close it out, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love what Jonathan Edwards said about this peace that's found in the presence of Jesus. He said this, the foundation of the Christian's peace is everlasting. It is what no time, no change can destroy. It will remain when the body dies. It will remain when the mountains depart and the hills shall be removed and when the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, the fountain of his comfort shall never be diminished and the stream shall never be dried. His comfort and joy is a living spring in the soul, a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Wow. This peace is yours in Jesus Christ. But we need him to fill us with it every day. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up on stage right now. And we're going to close out with a song. But listen, this is a very important moment between you and God. This is perhaps a life-changing moment between you and God. Because I'm challenging you right now to take whatever it is that is threatening your peace to take whatever it is from your past 
or your present or your future that is unsettling your soul. And I'm challenging you right now as we sing this song to release it to Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the only place that your soul will find rest. Let's all stand and sing this last song together.